0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr.
1: Hello and welcome to another Best in the World with Richard Parr. And I'm talking to you from South Africa, Cape Town to be exact where I'm currently here filming for my sports breakfast show, Sportacino. Check out the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Sportachino. Been covering all types of amazing different sports. While I've been here, I've been to see the T20 International between South Africa and Sri Lanka last week at Newlands. I've been to the horse racing event, the Sun Met at Kenilworth. There's so much going on. In this amazing sports city. Please go and check out some of the videos. Because we've been able to speak to some fantastic guests. Speaking about fantastic guests. I've got a great guest for you today. On the best in the world with Richard Parr. I'm talking to the world champion swimmer. Robbie Rennick. He is also a keen kite surfer. So we talk about how he started up a business for that. He talks about how he raced against Michael Phelps. And also we go into good details about goal setting, which is seemingly important to every single sports star we speak to on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. And he also describes in detail some of the lifestyle changes he made to help him become a world champion swimmer. Really good advice, really interesting chat with Robbie Rennick on today's Best in the World podcast. That's all coming up in just a moment, but I want to tell you that today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is one of the leading suppliers of audiobooks in the world. You can try out their product by using the code audibletrial.com forward slash best. That's audibletrial.com forward slash best and you can check out their service for 30 days and that includes a free audio book download. So, you know, free stuff. We all appreciate that, especially when it's great learning that you can get from an audiobook, courtesy of Audible. Why don't you give it a go and let me know how you get on. Send me a tweet at Richard underscore par. All right, let's get into the interview with the world champion swimmer, Robbie Rennick.
0: The Best in the World
1: podcast with Richard Parr. Robbie Renwick, world champion swimmer. Welcome to the Best in the World. Now we're going to talk about all things to do with your amazing career, particularly in the pool, swimming your routine, your whole life. But I first wanted to talk about something else that you get up to, and that's about kite surfing. Now, you you've got a company related to this. Do you want to tell us a bit about this and where this passion
2: comes from? Yeah, so uh, I run a kite surf school called Tried Kite Surfing, um, and kite surfing has always been my passion away from swimming. I always found that I would have to have something in my life that I look forward to in the weekend. So. Kite surfing was that. Uh, you know, when I was training six days a week, my brain would be constantly thinking about swimming all the time. So, kite surfing was really a, a really good release for me. Um, the brilliant thing about kite surfing is you can—it's the ultimate freedom of the ocean. You can go anywhere, and you have the added dynamic of being able to jump and being able to fly uh, up to thirty. Forty foot in the air, which is just incredible and and it 's that rush rush of adrenaline that I really crave
1: now i'm I'm from the south of england i'm I'm down in Brighton where it 's a lot warmer than where you are in Scotland, but it 's still pretty cold
2: down here. Is it not yeah.
1: freezing to be doing that up where you are
2: yeah it's absolutely baltic uh, <laughs> i i I have to invest in the the best wetsuits money can buy five mil neoprene. Boots, gloves, hoods, and, you know, it's still quite cold. But, you know, once you're moving around in the water, they you're not too bad at all. Um, last weekend I was teaching maybe six or seven hours, and it was only five degrees outside. And that, trust me, was very, very cold. Oh.
1: No, 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 thanks. Um, that that one's not for me, Robbie. But um, <laughs> when you're doing this, do, do your coaches ever get concerned? Like, what, what are the the risk of injury in, in something like kite surfing? Is there any time it's ever affected your swimming?
2: No, actually, kite surfing is very, very safe. I mean, especially the way we teach it, it's really it can be a very dangerous sport if you're out of control of the kite. Uh, you know, it's a big, powerful beast. But the way we teach it, we we really try to emphasise the safety element. You know, whenever you're feeling uncomfortable, the bottom line is you don't go out and kite surf. So as long as you follow the right safety procedures, you're 100% safe. It's it's when you haven't you're being careless, you're being reckless, you haven't got lessons uh you don't quite understand what you're doing, that's when accidents can happen. And for me I've never I've never hurt myself uh kite serving, touch wood. Uh, but at the same time, I do recognise that my coaches probably the lead up to the Olympics would prefer that I wouldn't go kite serving just in case. But you know, I am a very, very careful person and I it's almost like I take calculated risk. I'm not I'm not reckless at any point. I'm making sure I'm doing the safety parts of kitesurfing very, very well. Hmm. OK, well, let, let's talk
1: a bit more about swimming. And in fact, let's talk about your, your early life. Now, uh, I've got here that you're actually born in Abu Dhabi. Um, I, I know that region quite well. I've been in Qatar for six years of my life working for Al Jazeera. Were you in Abu Dhabi long before you returned to Scotland? And, and, and if so, how was your experience there?
2: Uh, no, I wasn't actually. I can barely remember anything. About <laughs> Aberdeen. So basically, I was an oil baby. Uh, my dad worked in the oil industry, so that's why he lived. We lived in Abu Dhabi at the time. Six months later, I moved to Aberdeen, uh, where I, I lived there for 20 years. So all my memories, all my swimming, is is come from Aberdeen. Uh, I was just merely born there as an expat child. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I have very very faint memories of what Abu Dhabi was like but yeah it's it's an interesting one being born there
1: yeah I'm sure your parents kind of missed the heat when they returned um (laughs) so you know you're you're in Aberdeen so when did you start swimming and then when did you realize that you were good at swimming and when did you realize that I want to take this seriously
2: yeah so I started swimming just getting learned to swim lessons at around about five years old Uh, for me I I always love being in the water and around the water, hence the kite surfing as well. I always find when I'm not swimming, I want to be around the sea or, you know, still messing around in a river, you know, stand up paddle boarding kind of thing. That's really my passion being surrounded by water. I love it. Um, so from the age of about five, like all my friends swam. So it was just a natural thing t- to do, to to learn to swim, then progress and join a swim club and just progress through the ranks now I've been very very lucky to have brilliant coaches throughout my swimming career and and they've played a huge part of developing me as a swimmer and I've always had a very very supportive family as well so that's that's been the backbone of everything um which has just been fantastic and at the age of 16 I actually qualified for the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne 2006 so at 17, I competed at the Commonwealth Games and I came away with a silver medal in the men's four x 200 relay. At that point, I knew I could pus- pursue swimming as a career. That was a real kind of changing point in my life. I could go, you know what? The Olympics is only two years away and it's not that much higher than the level I'm at now. So that was the point where realization kicked in. And I realized I could Pursue being a sportsman professionally. Mm. And in in two thousand
1: eight, was that your, that was your first Olympic appearance at, at Beijing? Am I right? And and how was
2: that experience for you? Yeah, Beijing was absolutely incredible for me to compete at an Olympic Games as a youngster. The Olympics and the Commonwealth Games and the World Championships were always the pinnacle of sport for me. So when I qualified for my first Olympic Games, you know, it was probably one of the proudest moments in my swimming career. It's, it was the lead up of everything I ever wanted in a competition. And I went into the Beijing Olympics with no pressure, nothing at all. Uh, and I actually made an individual final on the men's 200 freestyle. And I was swimming next to Michael Phelps, who was on his way to winning eight gold medals. So for me, I was totally in awe. I was, I was this magical age of 19 years old where you're just absolutely fearless. Every time you race, you're swimming PBs, you know. It's, you're really racing with confidence, and it's, it's a really amazing time. You know, every time you're racing, you're, you're getting faster and faster. And for me to unexpectedly make the Olympic final in the men's 200 freestyle, you know, was was absolutely phenomenal.
1: Were you nervous that day?
2: yeah absolutely I mean I can actually barely remember it because when I walk out before the race everything just becomes automatic you know the race turns into a blur it's almost like your brain is working in overdrive so I I can see myself on YouTube uh, swimming that final and you know I can barely remember any of it Um, (laughs) and it it was a very nerve-wracking experience but at the same time I I had this attitude of going in with nothing to lose and it's that attitude which you know you're able to make such huge gains it's when you get into your senior career you have a lot to lose you have a the potential to lose all your funding you know whether you pay a mortgage or you you have a family you know your race depends on that so when you're at that age of 19 and not having anything to lose it's a really magical time in your career Mm. you can just swim with no stress no baggage on you and, and most of the time, you're, you're performing really, really well as well. So when it came to the London Games four years later, when you,
1: you've had this experience of being in Beijing, you've, you've been able to do it kind of pressure-free. What then goals and targets did you set yourself for London 2012? And do you think that, that helped you or hindered you at all?
2: Yeah, um, for me, I was actually... A, the British swimming team had a relatively disappointing london olympic games which you know being part of the swimming team i'm talking about you know was a real shame it feels like a missed opportunity it feels like a lot of swimmers on that team could have could have swam a lot better and we could have come away with a lot more medals but for me going into london i knew i was never going to get an individual medal Uh, so i then sat back with my coach and i said right realistically what is a great goal here and, and we decided that a great goal for me would be to make the individual final again in the men's 200 freestyle and, and try sneak a bronze medal. Uh, now, I made that final in the men's 200 freestyle and I came sixth. And for me, I would, came sixth in a PB, a personal best time, and I'd done as well as I'd hoped. And for me, I could walk away from the London Olympic Games with my head held high Knowing that Swama PB and I had done the best I could. For me, coming sixth at the Olympic Games was almost like me winning my Olympic medal. I knew <clears> the likes of Yannick Agnell, who won that event, Ryan Lochte, uh Partei Wan. And I, I knew these guys, I'm a realist. I knew these guys were a second or a second and a half faster, and there was nothing I could do to catch them. You know, we it goes it comes down to physiology physiology and these guys had a better physiology than me. So for me it was about getting the best out of myself. It wasn't the case of I came sick, gutted, I didn't win the gold medal. For me, my gold medal was was getting in that top six.
0: This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr.
1: We'll have more from Robbie in just a moment, but I want to remind you that today's show is brought to you by Audible. They're one of the leading suppliers of audiobooks in the world, and I'm currently listening to Zlatan Ibrahimović's book on Audible. I'd highly recommend it. Why don't you go and check it out? You can do it using a 30-day trial and a free download courtesy of Audible. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash best. That code one more time, audibletrial.com forward slash best check it out let me know how it goes all right back to the conversation with robbie Rennick.
0: the best in the world
1: podcast
0: with richard
1: parr crucially you have won gold medal since uh, the world championships in, in 2015 in, in kazan in the in the four by 200 meters freestyle tell us about that experience uh, you know leading up and kind of the the camaraderie between you guys as a team because you know looking at some of your successes you've you've had amazing success in that discipline you know uh various silvers in in the in the commonwealth games you also got silver in this past olympics which we'll we'll talk more about in a moment but what was it about kazan 2015 that the made you the best in the world made you world champions
2: yeah 2015 was a was a brilliant brilliant summer for us for team gb as well it seems like we really really started to 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 go on the up but to to bring it back a bit the reason why 2015 was so successful is i have to take you back to 2014 after the glasgow commonwealth games now i had a very disappointing commonwealth games Uh, I came in as reigning Commonwealth champion and I wanted nothing more in my life than to be a homeboy Commonwealth champion again and get my gold medal back. But actually what happened was I came fifth in the men's 200 freestyle. So for me, that was absolutely devastating. I knew I needed to change something in my life and change my swimming. So for me, I decided to move my life from Glasgow all the way to Stirling to train under new coach Stephen Tague and to train in a more performance-orientated club. So a real professional club, so gone were the days of getting up at 5 a.m. and training for two hours. I would now train at half seven in the morning. My lifestyle was a lot better and I was actually able to address weaknesses in my life and in my technical aspects of swimming.
1: Let's just take a pause there because that that's really interesting what what you were talking about in in 2014 about what you changed. Can we just go into a bit more detail of how that day would look like because as yeah. uh, you know I think I think we've reached a point here where we're really seeing what you what you did to become the best in the world. So we'd love to know kind of just explain how that day would be. You, you said you just changed it from 2 hours training at in the morning to a more structured day tell us about that day tell us exactly how that would go please
2: yeah so to go into the details of that I used to train at a club so in this club there's maybe 300 members ranging from little one-year-old kids that can't swim and uh, that need pool time that need pool space all the way up to performance athletes that are trying to to compete at the olympic games so there's a whole range when you have a club now the club doesn't favor anyone what the club does is try to make it fair for everyone so in order to do that and we have to train uh we used to train at half five in the morning till half seven and the reason being is the majority of swimmers could get a training session in before they went to school, before they went to university or before they went to work. So that's why we trained at half five to half seven. Now naturally that causes a big impact on your lifestyle because suddenly you're having to get up at half four in the morning and also not not only did we have to train very early in the morning, we trained very late in the evening. So we we would train from half five in the morning till half seven and then we would train at five in the evening till seven in the evening. I actually moved my lifestyle to training till half seven till half nine, then three till five in the afternoon. So that allowed me a bit more time in the evening to say if I was absolutely shattered, I'd go to bed at eight o'clock and I would sleep for 10 hours, 11 hours, and then I'd go to training and I'd feel recovered. So it was the lifestyle issue that I really addressed. Not only that, I took my foot off the gas a little bit in training. and So the the way we were training in Glasgow was we would train very, very tough all year round. And for me, the last two years being in Glasgow, I would just get the same results. Uh, So they weren't getting any faster. So I knew I had to change my training. And I changed my training by bringing the volume down a little bit more, still maintaining my fitness, but I was emphasizing a lot more on my technical aspect of my race. Uh, So my turns and my starts and my streamlining got more efficient. So therefore I was swimming faster whilst training less. So therefore my body was able to catch up and recover even better than it used to in Glasgow. Yeah, so you were training smarter. Training smarter, that's right. Mm. That's exactly what was happening. So in 2015 season I had a great season um, I was suddenly racing really fast mid-season uh, I qualified for the world championships uh, that year no problem at all and um, you know we got ourselves in a great in a great position for that men's 4x200 relay we had a swimmer called James Guy who was just riding the tip of a wave he was swimming really really well Earlier on in the week, he became individual world champion in the men's 200 freestyle. And we realized realized then we could get a medal because we knew we had James Guy. But we can't just rely on James Guy to swim and carry all of us. So basically, our tactic leading into that race was we knew the Americans would be out ahead. So if we could get James Guy within range of the Americans, say, one, one and a half seconds behind, you know, we knew he could win. He knew he could win. So, you know, we had a great leadoff uh, from Daniel Wallace. I was I was next to dive in. I dived in and, and did another PB um, at 27 years old. You know, you don't come across them too often anymore. Uh, so we we really pitched James Guy up in a brilliant position. He he dived in. With 50 meters to go, he told me he just looked at the American Competitor, and he started laughing underwater because he knew he hadn't. Uh, but for me, standing at the opposite end of the pool, watching this race unfold, I couldn't watch. I, I literally didn't watch. Um, you know, now that I watch it back on TV, it, it's absolutely incredible. And to have that confidence at 20 years old to know I'm going to win a world championship title here, uh, you know, with 50 meters to go, and you know, it was uh, a really special moment. For me and and for us in the men's team to to be on top of the podium and not only that to beat to beat USA who are always on top of the podium and to see Ryan Lochte's face after it was you know was priceless. I don't think he he ever thought that GB would have beaten him. Amazing stuff there, Robbie. Um, how did you guys celebrate? Well, it's, it was very difficult actually because. We obviously train in all four different parts of the country so you know after the world championships it was literally two days later we we flew home the next day so we didn't really get the chance to celebrate but for me it was such a huge personal success because i'd been i'd been training so long i've been training uh 20 years now you know racing and for me I, i didn't have an international title yes i have a commonwealth games gold medal but now I have a world title to my name. And I said in 2015, I said, any other medal that comes now is just a bonus. I'm happy I can walk away with swimming with a world title under my name. Mm.
1: And, and then you, you got gold in the European Games as well. And then the Rio Olympics, silver medal. How was that experience for you? Was there disappointment or was there pride in, in getting silver?
2: Yeah, so the whole experience was was amazing. Um, again, to compete at the Olympic Games is the pinnacle of sport. And leading into the Olympic Games, we knew we were world champions the year before, so we knew we had a target on our back. Um, for me, I I underperformed. Um, I knew the, the team for the men's 4x200 was really, really fast. I knew there were six swimmers competing for four spots and in the heats of the men's four by 200 I wasn't fast enough to get through into the final team and I knew it straight away once I finished my race and I accepted it straight away um you know it was completely devastating for me not to be on that team but I knew it was my fault I knew I knew my preparation leading into the games wasn't as ideal as I'd hoped and there was just a lot of little things that didn't go my way about four months leading into the games which caused me to then underperform what were some of those things Robbie so it's a very bitter pill to swallow so just to go over a few it's it's strange it's not one standout thing that happened there was just you know in hindsight now I can just see a lot of things that didn't go perfectly so for me after the Olympic trials I, I moved into a brand new house you know I had the stress of getting a house and moving everything in uh, a couple weeks later my girlfriend lost her job a week later she then broke her foot and um, all these little things that were just quite stressful moments in my life and then a month later my my granddad passed away uh, and we we my granddad's from Holland. We flew the whole family out there. We were there when he passed away and the whole scenario, everything was very, very stressful. Um, Combine that as well with a little bit of illness, a little bit of injury, um, it was more of an accumulation effect. And I didn't realize how affected I was from everything until the real games. And I'm a firm believer that everyone only has so much mental space in their head and for me I had reached that capacity before I got to Rio Um, and it was almost the two days before my race I was really really stressed out and I had no idea why suddenly I got really really anxious that you know I had to race in two days and I wasn't sleeping the night before and I just think all these little little bits were just sapping my energy just slightly and therefore I didn't perform to my best and it's and it's in hindsight now that I realize this and it's not to make excuses and to point the finger at that that's the reason why I didn't swim fast it was an accumulation effect that I wasn't quite in the right mental space before my race you know I was mentally I had so much going on in my head that I didn't even realize until after my race Mm. And By then, it's too late. With, with all of that
1: anxiety and, and, and lack of sleep, was there anyone in in Team GB that you could turn to? Was were there um, psychologists on hand? Were there anyone you could speak to, or or like you say, you just didn't kind of realise it at the time?
2: Yeah, I I think it's that I didn't quite realise it at the time. I was I thought I was fine. Like like here's a good example. Like the month before Rio Games, I entered a competition. And I swam terrible at that competition. And instead of going, like, looking at why I swam terrible, I just assumed that the reason why I swam terrible was because I'd been training very hard, and it was actually okay because I was in heavy training. That's the reason why I didn't swim that well. But actually, the reason was I had just come back from a funeral the week before. My head was all over the place. Uh, Emotionally, I needed to recover and then I went into a competition and I didn't swim well. I should have taken that competition as a red flag. I should have, I should have been able to address it there, there and then, and tried to look forward into the real games with slightly more of a clear head. But for me, I took it as, that's okay right now because I know I'm training hard. So I kind of excused all these thoughts and feelings into me just going through the roller coaster of, yes, it's the real Olympic Games. Yes, we were world champions last year. Yes, we want to get a medal this year again, um, and not in almost ignoring everything else in my head that had been happening for the last four months.
1: I guess when you're training so hard and and you've got such goals to go for, it's hard to kind of get that that clear mind to actually realise and and recognise these things. Do you then? In, actually quite appreciate the the time now the, these few months after an olympics and have you looked back on during this time before uh, the 2008 games or the 2012 games is is this kind of a, an actual quite good time even though you're not competing you're able to continue to learn about yourself in this period
2: yeah that's that's definitely true i mean right now i've not touched the water in 12 weeks since my race almost and it's it's the first time I've ever given myself a break in the last 20 years it's the first time you know I can gather my thoughts and emotions together because the lead up to an Olympic Games it's it's constantly in your mind 24-7 and for me it, it was a great release to go out kite surfing and you know just forget about everything forget all the worries and I'd come back feeling a lot better but six months leading into the olympic games i didn't even get to kite surf and i wasn't able to do things that i love to do so you know it's after an olympic games it's a, it's almost like a huge come down you know your body has to reset it has to readjust because you've been training for that for four years uh so you know having this time now 12 weeks out it's it's been incredible you know there's stuff i've learned about myself and there's stuff I find like, oh, actually, I, I really enjoy going mountain biking, for example. So I've started doing that again. You know, it's a lot of things, you know, like relationships with friends. It's a lot of things over the years I've missed out on little things here and there. And it's about mending those relationships, you know. Um, you know, sport has given me so much at the same time. It's it's asked for a lot of sacrifice. Mm.
1: So when, when you appreciate this time now... And you know the, the the difficulties that it can be going into an Olympic cycle, albeit with with the great successes and achievements that you've had. Does it put you off trying to do another four years? Will will you be going for Tokyo in twenty twenty?
2: I think it's unrealistic to think I'll be going for another four years. Um, for me, it's the start of a I guess another cycle, and for me, it's been so great to to have some time off away from the sport and properly get away from the sport. And now I'm looking at other aspects in life. It's Although I talk about the disappointment in Rio, but, you know, it was very bittersweet. I, I came away with an Olympic silver medal. I was part of that team. I was part of the heats. Uh, I just wasn't part of the final. And for me, there is life after swimming. I know it. And I need to prepare myself. So I'm in that transition phase now where I'm working on aspects of my life um that I can do now with time off um, where I where I can't do when I'm training full time. so I've I've started working in with Scottish swimming uh, and working on swimming projects, trying to increase membership, trying to increase people just uh, to, to pick up swimming. Uh, so it's these other areas in my life now I'm now looking into and it's almost like swimming has taken the back foot. I'm 28 now. I have an Olympic Games gold medal. I have every major title medal now. Olympic Games, a World Championships, Commonwealth Games, and a European medal now. So if I'm going to go back into swimming, it would almost be like trying to achieve something I've already done. Mm -hmm. Now, do I put my life on hold for another four years or another two years or another year? Or do do I get out into the wide open world and get a job? So that's the that's the tough question. I guess that's the
1: beauty of this time now, and I'll tell you what, Robbie, we'll continue to follow your journey, and I'm sure whatever you do next, you'll be just as successful because of all the skills and tools that you've learned throughout the last 20 years swimming. It's been so good to talk to you. Just before we go, Robbie, maybe you can let our listeners know your uh, social media handles on Twitter, Instagram, all of that, so we can continue to learn from you and continue to see what you get up to in, in the next step in your life and career
2: yeah thanks very much Richard my Twitter handle is just Robbie Rennick uh fire me some tweets anything to do with sport and swimming and I'm usually retweeting and I'm not the most active tweeter but now and again I like to tweet so yeah give me a follow I would love to hear from you wonderful
1: Robbie Rennick thank you for being on today's podcast and thank you for being the best in the world
2: thanks very much Richard
0: The best in the world podcast with Richard Parr.
1: So that's it for another best in the world with Richard Parr. Thank you again to Robbie Rennick for being on today's show. We've got so many great guests lined up for you on the podcast. So stay tuned to iTunes and to Stitcher. We come out every single Wednesday. If you haven't subscribed to either already, please go and do so. Also give us a rating and review. Plus the whole back catalogue is on those sites as well as RichardPart.net, And you can listen to other swimmers give their amazing insights, such as Natalie Coghlan, such as Nick Gillingham. We've had so many fantastic guests on the best in the world with Richard Parr. And even if you're not into swimming, we've got all other sports for you as well. Perhaps John Potter from the world of hockey. Perhaps Bodo Ilgner, the former Football World Cup winner with Germany. Maybe David Campisi from the rugby world. It is all on the show. Go back and listen to it on Richard Parr. Net. All right, that's it for this week's show. Stay tuned for next week's podcast next Wednesday on iTunes and on Stitcher. I'll speak to you then. Have a great week. Bye.
0: The Best in the World
1: podcast with Richard Parr.